This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by James Forsyth and Katie Bulls. So the Prime Minister has finally spoken on the Owen Patterson affair and the following slee scandals. This is what he had to say in a press conference earlier today. Uh, but I genuinely believe that uh, the UK is not remotely a uh, corrupt uh, country, nor do I believe that our institutions are, are corrupt. And, and I think it's very, very important to, to say that. Uh, we have a very, very tough system of parliamentary uh, democracy and, and scrutiny, and not least by the, by the media. And I think everybody can, can see that. James, what did you make of the Prime Minister's comments? Well, I think you can see the line the Prime Minister is trying to walk. He still doesn't want to apologise for the way that the um, Patterson vote was handled. It, it, and it is worth noting that you know, Boris Johnson is not a kind of apologising type politician. But I think in this instance, that is causing him real problems. I think there is, I think some contrition would actually help and would also help him, not just with the public, but also with his own parliamentary party. And it's also hard not to be, I think, contrite when you consider how the government is now set about U-turning so comprehensively what it did. You know, it's even bringing a motion on the kind of basically allowing everything it did to be completely unpicked when Parliament returns next week. I also thought you saw him trying to kind of signal a tough line on those MPs who've broken the rules, you know, saying it was kind of vital that those MPs who broke the rules were investigated and, and punished. And then I think you saw him trying to do a bit of perspective, speaking at the kind of UN um, climate change summit, saying that you know, the UK is not a corrupt country. Now, I think in some ways, if you have to say it, that is that is worrying in, in some respects. And I think, you know, this obviously follows on from Lord Evans of, of Weirdale, the, the, you know, in charge of the, the Commission on Science and Public Life, who said, look, you know, you can't take for granted that Britain is not a corrupt country. You know, if those rules aren't enforced, you, you can slide into that. I, I don't think that this press conference is going to end the matter. I think that this story still has... Do you want to join the podcast? Yeah, why not? I mean, this story still has some way to run. I was talking to one senior Tory MP today who said to me, you know, the problem is you know, there is no firebreak in sight and it is not hard to see, you know, but the, essentially newspapers are just going through the register of MPs' interests and kind of checking each one and, you know, there are quite a few of those to go through. James, I was fascinated to see in that quote, you, not just that there was no firebreak in sight, that quote was, there's no firebreak in sight and lots of dry timber. Who's the next dry timber? Because we, we've been speaking about Cox in this podcast for about a week. He was the, and last week you were like, oh, great, well, he's a great example. Now you're going a bit off him, right? Um, <laughs> well, you are. But, um, but, but who else, who's next? What about IDS with 25 grand? How, is he dry timber? I mean, can we now think any Tory who's taken more than 10 grand's worth of consultancy is, is now um, a fair game for Angela Rayner? I think there's a kind of whiff of 2009 in the air where the fact that something was a known, previously known fact does not offer people protection. You know, I mean, that, you know, that I, I've said this before in this podcast, yeah. I mean, you know, one thing that one Tory MP keeps saying to me is that, you know, he, he remembers how his local paper did his second home expenses in 2006 and 2007. So when the Telegraph stuff came out in 2009, he just assumed this was not going to be a big deal for him. That even though it was only a kind of couple of lines in the paper, he got a kind of massive reaction because the public was suddenly 
right, who's doing this? What's going on? And I, and I suspect, you know, I think about a quarter of Tory MPs have outside interests. And I, I think you can expect to see people kind of going through them, questioning whether everything has been followed. If you look at the kind of the rule breach that Labour is accusing Geoffrey Cox of, is not going to the Caribbean to represent, to do this work with the British Virgin Islands. It's the fact that he might have held a, uh, the, the, the Times is having kind of studied the video, thinks he's held a, a meeting, you know, a Zoom meeting in his parliamentary office, which if he had done, you know, um, could well be a breach of the rules. And I, I think this is, I think this is the problem. You know, you get into this cycle of story after story after story, and you you wonder what 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 will end the story. Mm. And listeners will have heard that I have not turned into Fraser Nelson, but he's making a bit of a cameo in here. Um, Katie, it is it is your office. I'm not saying that you shouldn't make a cameo. Making a cameo, (laughs) cameo in the in this podcast. You heard it Um, here first, Katie. Is this Jeffrey Cox revelation that he had this meeting in his parliamentary office a game changer for this personal case? Because suddenly there is something here that he has actually broken a rule on. Well, it gets referred now to the Standards Commissioner. Then you have a process by which uh, you can expect a report. I mean, I think it's worth pointing out that when it comes to the various punishments or, you know, things that the Standards Commissioner, Catherine Stone, is going to issue, the Owen Patterson case was quite an extreme one in the form of a suspension. So... It doesn't go away if she chooses to investigate it. We then get a point where, uh, you know, you could have something where Jeffrey Cox is told to apologise in the House. You could have a situation where potentially you could be offered something more drastic, like a suspension and it goes to a vote. But I think it's quite hard to predict at this point where it's going. What we do know is it just means that the row continues. And it's what James is touching on in that quote that he mentioned, uh, which is the sense that... The reason there's such annoyance in the Tory party right now is because they feel that Boris Johnson has, through his mishandling last week, brought forward a crisis that number 10 can now not control. And had the Prime Minister maybe apologised earlier the week, I don't think it would have gone away, but they feel that events have taken uh, over and there's very little the Prime Minister can do and it's put them all in quite a vulnerable position on these various things. So the Geoffrey Cox one means the story keeps going. But then... I think, as you, as we again have touched on this, and anyone who has an outside interest job that I think goes beyond working for a public service is going to potentially find themselves open to some negative publicity, and that can go places. We've also got quite a few potential by-elections coming up if you look a bit further across mm. the field. So, yes, in the case of Owen Patterson's seat, which uh, is now looking to be you know mid late December, but. Also, if you look at Adam Free and the fact that there are reports he could be facing bankruptcy, if so, we're heading towards a by-election. This isn't going to be comfortable terrain. I think it's, I think what was making figures in CCHQ and generally in Tory party a bit nervous is there are quite a lot of opportunities coming up to kind of show your anger on the party or the government if you don't like what you're seeing. James, I was wondering what turned you against Geoffrey Cox. Um... I am. I, I still would defend the principle of. Yeah, we know. I, I, was saying, I, I think you should speak more in the House of Commons chamber. I don't. I don't Act I'm, physically in it. Well, I mean, now that now that now that now that Parliament is back, I mean, I think there is. I think there is an. Arc. He's been chilling in the Caribbean. Surely that's a difference. It's one thing if you're in the House of Commons doing some, but when you find out he's literally been voting from the Caribbean, well, I mean, the, the, presumably where he's living. That's pushing it. The, the, uh, the irony is that this was at a time when Parliament was virtual. MPs were told not to hold constituency surgeries and see people face to face. No, I mean so. Uh, but but I think there is. I think there is a question here, which is 
Sorry, this, the, the, the editor's door keeps opening as people seek his uh, attention. Um, no, I, I, I think the, I think the point is you need to be showing that you're doing kind of all the various jobs you're doing. I've also thought his statement today was, which was conducted in the third person, which was perhaps not the, the, the best approach. But I also think it makes an interesting point that people slightly forget about Jeffrey Cox. The first time he fought this seat was a Lib Dem held seat and he came second. He then won it and it has become a progressively safer Tory seat. And his essential statement says, every time I run for election, the Lib Dems complain about the fact that I do all this legal work and get paid lots of money for it. And my majority goes up. So I'm perfectly happy to abide by the verdict of my electors. And I think this is, I think the Geoffrey Cox case, I actually think in some ways is less egregious because I don't think you can say that there is a, conflict of interest i'm much more worried about things like something like the lawrence robertson story where someone has a remunerated financial role and then they ask questions in the house of commons that are touching on the interests of that and that's not what jeffrey cox was doing i also think that 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 we used to have there used to be something called essentially called the parliamentary bar you you do need to have lawyers in parliament so that you can have a high quality attorney general and a high quality solicitor general i think if you if you basically stop lawyers from practicing at all the quality of those posts is going to go down well fraser you asked earlier where this goes next one person who has had their name also come out is also keir starmer why is he not in more trouble than he is at the moment and what about other labor mps are they such saints i'm afraid to say keir starmer is in a spot of trouble here. You've got him who's taken rather a lot of money over the years uh, on this little little side hustle, the legal side hustle. And who do we have leading the charge? Angela Rayner, doing it very well. I was uh, speaking earlier on to, to Kenneth Baker, the former Tory party chairman, uh, who's appearing in our, our podcast tomorrow. And he was saying how impressed he's been that Labour has an Angela Rayner, somebody who knows how to go for the Tory jugular. And when she, she sees how exposed they are, and of course you'd far rather have T- Angela Rayner leading this charge than Keir Starmer, who can't really talk because his flat will be absolutely full of stuff that he bought with the proceeds of doing all this well-paid legal work. So it, it does happen across the parties. As James says, the Tories are way more likely to have... There is, a, there is a wedge available, I think, to Labour here, which is if you basically went to cap MPs' outside earnings, if you said that uh, no one should be able to earn more from outside interests than they are as an MP, I personally think that would be bad policy because I think that would lead to lots of former cabinet ministers leaving the House of Commons. And the thing I'm very worried about, the quality of the QCs in the House of Commons also might, might decline. But politically for Labour, this would drive a wedge because it's quite hard to defend in a soundbite why people should be allowed to earn more from their outside interests than they earn from their parliamentary salary. The people who this would affect would nearly all be Tories and it would put the government in, a, in quite a difficult spot. But I think Keir Starmer is being quite unimaginative in terms of how he is going after Tories on this. You know, I was talking to one person who used to work for David Cameron and they were saying, you know, talking about how if you think back to the expenses scandal, Cameron constantly tried to get ahead of this, to look like he was changed, like he was the fresh broom. Yes, it made him some enemies in the Tory party, but I think it did help him politically. I think actually for Keir Starmer, this is actually relatively easy territory, but he's not taking some of the opportunities available to him. I mean, MPs are now uh, heading for the recess, and that is usually a period where there's a chance to, you know, cool the temperature in the parliamentary party. I think th- where this has the risk to go wrong is just as there is a strip drip feed in the media, uh, more and more stories, and what is supposed to be a calming recess before you return actually becomes dominated with MPs feeling as though they're under attack. Something which, yes, we can discuss second jobs, whether or not they should be doing this work, but on a practical basis probably would not be happening on the on the week uh, that the, you know that that it 
could be in this week too had it not been for number 10's mishandling last week I think that's the anger isn't it 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 is that this is a self-inflicted completely self-inflicted yeah well Katie and James thanks very much and thanks to Fraser who's now dashed off anyway so thank you too for listening and And thank you for the door it's all great (laughs) (laughs) if um, listeners want to give us money to get a recording studio (laughs) so WD40 Maybe just a sign on the door might be good. <laughs> and also listeners might want to read our analysis, which is daily and for free as well, in the Evening Blend newsletter, which Katie Balls is writing as we speak, because she's so hardworking. Um, so to get that for free, go to spectator.co.uk forward slash blend. And that podcast that Fraser was talking about was The Edition. So it's our weekly podcast discussing everything happening in the magazine, not a Coffee House Shots podcast. But if you enjoy this podcast, you will enjoy that one too. So do check it out.